We welcome you to our Bible study as the radio Bible class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now today's lesson is titled, God Is, and it comes from Hosea 11. Now Christian radio is not free. If you enjoy this radio ministry, your offering to this ministry will aid in the expense of keeping the radio Bible class on the air as a witness for Jesus. By making a charitable contribution, you're helping reach people listening in our area and on the internet. You can make a donation safely and securely by calling us at 601-483-8648. And there they can take your information over the phone. Or send us your gift by mailing it to Word Talk Inc. P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax exempt ministry. Hebrews 13:16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you're a regular listener, you know we've been journeying through the book of Hosea, and we're almost through. In our study, we've seen God's tough love for his people. He's warned his people. He's been long-suffering. He's been patient. And in all of this, Israel has believed that there's no big deal with their sin, and they've ignored God's warning. God loves us so much that he will warn us. And when we get off that path that he has for us, he will continue to warn us. He will relentlessly pursue us, even though we are chasing after something else other than him. Over the past two weeks, we've seen how Ephraim or the northern kingdom has chased after other gods and how God has warned them of his coming judgment through Hosea. Now today we're going to look at chapter 11. And chapter 11 is like an oasis. It's a nice thing to be found in the middle of such judgment that we've heard, harsh judgment that is coming on Israel. Now, we'll see in chapter 12 and forward that it does come to pass, but today we see an oasis of God's love, his enduring love for us. One commentator said that chapter 11 of Hosea is one of the most unique chapters in all of the Old Testament because it paints a picture of how loving God really is. Today we see God and we see how much he really loves us. No matter how much we mess up, he loves us. You could say he's a doting father. To the parents that are listening to me, think about your children. No matter how much they mess up, they are still your child. My son, my daughters, when they mess up, they're still my child. No matter how much hurt or disappointment I may have, they're still mine, and I still love them. And God is the same way. He's this doting father that he loves us even when we mess up and as Israel messes up. We see that today. I think about when my children were born. I remember wondering, is everything normal? You know, that's probably the first question many parents ask about their child's birth is everything normal. And from then on, we don't want our child to be normal again. We want them to talk and walk before all their peers do. There's such excitement when our children begin to walk. And today, in chapter 11, Hosea paints such a picture of the people of God here and God wanting the best for them. A father that was there from the beginning that helped us learn to walk, 
a father that's heart was broken as we walked into sin. Yet in that sin, he was still merciful to us. And today, I want you to get a picture of how much God loves us, but not only how much he loves us, but how much he endures. And that's another depth of, that we don't talk about in the church, is how much God's love is enduring when we are running from him, when we are running away from him. His love endures through all the trials and stuff that we put him through. If you remember from last week's lesson, I talked about the covenant that God had. In the book of Deuteronomy, 14 times Moses says, remember. And so I pointed out that Moses said, if you keep God's covenant, you will be blessed. But if you don't keep it, you will go back into exile. Now here we are hundreds and hundreds of years later, and Israel is getting ready to go back into exile. The words of Moses are now ringing true through Hosea. You're about to go back into exile because you have broken the covenant. God is a God that is loving and persevering, but he's also a God that keeps his word. So God is using Hosea to remind the people of what he said and how big God's heart is. And that's what I want to show you today. There's four things that I want to show you out of chapter 11 about God is and about God's heart. So let's look at Hosea 11 verses 1 through 4, and I'll be reading from the ESV. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to the idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by the arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love. And I came to them as one who eases their yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. So the first trait of God's heart that we're going to look at today is that God has a tender heart. He is a tender-hearted God. God is a tender-hearted God. So in verse 1, it says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called him. Now, it wasn't until Exodus chapter 4, when God is speaking to Moses, that he calls the people of Israel his children. While they're in slavery, while they're in captivity there, he tells Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my children go. It is right there that we see the establishment that the Israelites are God's people that they are his children. But you know what? This is a perfect picture of salvation. See, God adopts the nation of Israel as his children. Now, you remember back when God promised Abraham, he tells him that you're going to have a baby even when he's 100 years old, and he has one child that starts off the nation of Israel. That child, Isaac, has two children. And Jacob, one of those two, has 12 children. Now, 400 years later, Moses is there, and there's over 2 million people that have come from this covenant and this promise from God. It's a perfect picture of God's love and his adoption, and it's a picture of salvation, like I said, because he takes them out of captivity and he puts them into the promised land. And so just like us, he takes us out of our sinful captivity and he brings us and he sets us up on a path toward our promised land, just like he did with the children of Israel. And right here, we can see that tender heart of God, how he takes us out of that sinful life and he gives us a new life. That's the tender heart of God. And a matter of fact, listen to what 1 John 4.10 says. 
And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the appropriation of our sins. He loved us first. In our sin and rebellion, we're incapable of loving him. But through his mercy and through his grace, he loves us like a doting father. And he has a tender heart and he plucks us out of that. In verse 2, we see the more they were called, the more they went away. And we'll, we'll get back to this in a minute when we look at the broken heart. But look at verse 3 and verse 4. In verse 3, he says, Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. Well, the parents listening out there, think about your first child. All the stuff that you remember about that child. Now, by the time you get to the second or the third one, we don't have near the pictures. But that first one, we take pictures of everything. We take videos of that first step, them pulling up, them sitting up, everything in that first child we take pictures of. And just like the joy we had when we saw our child walk, God shows his joy right here when he says through Hosea, I taught you to walk, Ephraim. It wasn't that I just plucked you out of your sin, but I also brought you to me. I taught you to walk to me. See, even though God sometimes sees so distant to us, he's really not a distant God. This is an intimate image of God saying, I remember your first steps. I remember you walking. I remember watching you grow and come towards me. That's a beautiful picture of his intimacy that he wants with us. He's not a distant God. He's not this mean God. But he wants that intimate relationship with us. And we see it right here. God loves to see us be set free through his son. And then through the power of his Holy Spirit, he loves to watch us grow. We see God's joy in seeing us learning to walk with him. And look how he keeps going in verse 3. I took them up by the arms, but they did not know that I healed them. You know, in modern day terms, that would be they fell down, they scraped their knee, and I took care of them. And really, that's what Hosea is saying here. He's saying there's going to be times that you're going to be running full blast, and all of a sudden you're going to fall and you're going to hurt yourself. But I'm there to pick you up, even though you don't know I'm the one that's healing you. Again, we see God's tender heart that he's there to pick us up when we fall. What a beautiful picture. Yet he heals us and we don't even notice it. Now he goes on and says, I led them with cords of kindness and with bands of love. The image I get here, have you ever seen a child out wearing a harness? Well, I think today that's not politically correct anymore. But I remember going to the mall. I can remember being out in public and there were parents that had a harness on their child and you know they were leading them on, I would say, a, a, a childish leash just like you would lead a dog or an animal. Again, out of kindness, we see this picture that sometimes God needs to restrain us for our own good. Just like that harness and those children that I saw at Kmart or wherever. For our own good, God puts a harness on us and he restrains us from what we don't know. You know, we don't like that restriction. But then he goes on to say, with bands of love. So that restriction, he's painting a picture here, is that it's out of love. It's out of our own good. How many times as a parent have you had to tell your child no? And it broke your heart that they cried and, and they, you wanted them to be able to go, but you knew it wasn't the best for them. And that's what God is saying through Hosea here is, 
I know what's best for you. And there's times that I've had this cord of kindness. I've restricted you because it was out of love. Listen to what Solomon wrote in Proverbs 4, 3 and 4. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in sight of my mother, he taught me and he said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. So here's Solomon talking about King David teaching him around his tenderly love that he had for his son. And there's great wisdom right here. Just like he was to hold fast to David's words, as Christians, as we grow, we need to hold fast to God's word. And the last image of a tender-hearted God is, he says at the end of the verse, I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaw, and I bent down to them and fed them. So here, again, a picture of this yoke. Uh, they would put a yoke on an oxen as they plowed the field. And what he's saying is that I eased the burning off of you. I've bent down and I've helped you. So in these three verses right here, we get this complete picture of this tender-hearted God. He adopts us. He raises us up. He picks us up when we fall. And he eases our burden and he feeds us to keep us going. What a beautiful picture of a tender-hearted God. Now the second thing that we see is a broken-hearted God. You know as a parent, as much as you love your child, no matter how good your child is, there are times that you are brokenhearted over them. And we see that here in chapter 11. Look back at verse 2 with me. Because we see where they break his heart. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the bells and burning offerings to the idols. You know, when God rescued the Israelites out of Egypt, they didn't get too far into the desert before they made that golden calf. It wasn't too long after Joshua died that they started to serve other gods. If you look at Israel's whole history, they have been worshiping Baal time and time again. So over these hundreds of years of in the promised land, no matter how much he sent the prophets, no matter how many times they delivered to remember him and their covenant, they kept sacrificing to the bells and burning offerings to other idols. And you and I need to remember that even though God is a tender-hearted God, and we saw that, we saw how he adopted us, raised us up, he picks us up when we fall, that we too break his heart when we run after things other than God. Israel was that rebellious child that wouldn't listen to instruction. And because of that, there's now consequences that they are going to have to endure. And we'll see that in next week's lesson. But don't fool yourself. He's not a mean God. He's a loving God. He's a tender-hearted God, and he's a broken-hearted God. And we can see that he's stressed over this, having to bring this judgment on them by looking at verse 5. And it says, They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. And there you can hear the anguish. They have refused to return to me. Time and time again, we have seen in this book, turn yourself back to me. Turn to God. We, as we've studied these 11 chapters, we've seen it time and time again. As a matter of fact, the major theme in Hosea is return to me. Return to the Lord. Because of that rebellion, they're going to be captured by this king from Assyria, and they're going back into slavery. And can't that be said about us too today? We rebel and we rebel and we refuse to turn back to God and what? 
we find ourselves in slavery with the sin we've been chasing after. God gave us time and time again. He warned us. He sent people along our path to tell us, wake up. Yet we wouldn't listen. We wouldn't turn back. And now we're a slavery to our own sin that we chased after. Then Hosea shows us why we act this way. Look at verses 6 and 7. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsel. My people are bent on turning away from me, and though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. And this goes back to what I said earlier about religion and relationship. Here they wanted to go back to their ways, they wanted to call out, but they didn't want to change their life. They didn't want to change their lifestyle. They didn't want to obey the commands. They just wanted help to get out. They wanted a superhero, someone to come in, save the day, and then let them go back to living life like they wanted to. And this is probably the underlying issue why most folks don't return to the Lord. See, they want God to come in. They want him to save the day, but they don't want to walk with him and be under what he says, his commandments, his ways. But God slowly moves away further and further from that intimate relationship that we saw early in this chapter. And we see that right here where they say, And they call out to the Most High, and he shall not raise them up at all, or he shall not answer. Think about a wayward child. Over time, they call out for you to bail them out one more time, one more time. And we've talked about there comes a time where that tough love has to happen. We can't be an enabler. And so that's what's happening here. And why do we have to do that tough love? Because just like God, there's, in our life, we get tired of not seeing any desire to change. We're tired of saving them over and over again, and they're not willing to change. And that's what Israel's doing here, and that's what we do a lot of times to God. We call out and ask him to save us, but we're not willing to change. He sees no change in us. Listen to what David wrote in one of his repentive prayers, Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17. For you will not delight in a sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. David is saying that the true path to change comes from a broken spirit. That brokenness is realizing that you are no longer worthy. You can't do it in yourself. The only way for it to be done is through God. That's what the prodigal son had to do. He had to become humble. How prideful was he when he walked out that door? But when he walked back in, what a humble spirit he had. And that's what God is looking for is our brokenness and that repentance and turning back to him. And you know, this is not just about salvation. This is about any area of our life. We've got to get over the pridefulness. Maybe it's that you start looking down on people because you go to church every Sunday. Maybe it's because you read your Bible every day. We've got to understand that it's not in us. It's dying to the flesh and it's walking in the spirit. So we've seen that God has a tender heart. We've seen he has a broken heart. And thankfully, he has a merciful heart. Look at verse 8 and 9 with me. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Admah? How can I treat you like Zebim? My heart recalls within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. 
I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. Wow, is that powerful. I could spend a whole lesson just on probably this one or two verses. I won't because of time, but it boils down to that God has a merciful heart towards us. And you can see that right here. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? A few weeks ago, we saw him say, what am I going to do with you, O Ephraim? You know, the frustrated father. But here we see the merciful father. I will not give you up. And then he says, I'm not a man. I am God. You know, a man's eyes, it's easy to get frustrated. Man's natural reaction is, burn me once, shame on ye. Burn me twice, shame on me. I mean, that's our natural reaction. But God is saying here that I'm not a man. And because I'm not a man and I am God, I am not going to give up on you. Man would say, I'm done with you. I've had enough of you. Out of my face, I don't ever want to see you. But God says, I will not give you up. So we see his mercy and that merciful heart. I like what he says at the end of verse 8. My heart recalls within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I mean, stop for a second and think. How many times when you've had a broken heart could you say that? That you are feeling compassion and tenderness. What he's saying here is because a man would give you up, I can't give you up because I have a merciful heart. When I see you, I have compassion, I am tender, I love you, and I can't give you up. What a beautiful picture of the God that we serve and that loves us so much that even though we deserve all that he says that they're going to get, he can't give them up. His heart grows with love every time he sees them. Think about your own life. Think about your own sin. Think about all the punishment we deserve for that sin that we committed. Yet God says that I love you and I have mercy and grace over that sin and I forgive you of it. All you have to do is turn to me and ask. Think about that. When God looks at us in our brokenness, in our sinful state, his heart grows with compassion and it's tender. It's not with anger that everybody seems to think about God, but it's compassion and it's merciful. These two verses show us that it doesn't mean that God doesn't get angry. But it says that I will not come to you in wrath. Look back at verse 9 with me. He says, I will not execute my burning anger. So he says, I'm going to put my anger aside because I love you and I'm merciful, but I am going to deal with this problem just like a loving parent deals with their child. So we see the heart of God is merciful. Now, the last thing we see is that we have a lion-hearted God. Look at verse 10 with me. They shall go after the Lord, and he will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. So even though we have this tender-hearted, broken-hearted, merciful God, never forget that he is the Lion of Judah. He roars. I mean, that's how the Holy Spirit works. And you know what's interesting? This lion heart is really only referenced one place in Scripture, and that's in the book of Revelation. Look with me at Revelation 5.5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So right here in Revelation, we have the contrast between the lion and the lamb. He is the almighty God. Now, I remember growing up having arguments with some of my friends about my dad is greater than your dad. 
And I bet some of you listening could say the same thing. Now, back in the back of your mind, you may not have really believed that, but you wasn't going to give up to your friend just like I wasn't. But here we have this almighty God. And he has a lion heart that he can overcome anything. And there's nothing impossible with God. Even though he's like the lamb and he's tender and broken and merciful, he's also a very strong God. And that's what the lion heart shows us. We don't serve a wimpy God. Just because he's tender-hearted and broken-hearted and merciful doesn't mean he's a wimp. He has a lion heart. He's strong. And there is nothing, nothing impossible with God that he can't do. Nothing that you cannot bring to him that he can't overcome. So that is the beauty of a lion-hearted God is even though we see this loving God, he's still bigger than anything. He's more powerful than anything. And there's nothing that he can't take care of. And last, look how they respond when he roars. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. He's saying there's going to come a time that the rebellion's going to end. There'll be no one else to turn to. There'll be nothing else. And then they will turn back to God. And in that moment, he says that God will roar. He will show his strength. He will heal them. He will take them back because they will come trembling. And that word trembling there means they will come humbly. They'll come in that broken spirit. Let me close with this final thought. There's nothing like coming home when you've been away for a long time. I mean, there's no place like home. Even Jesus spoke of the happiness of coming home. I mean, he talked about the parable of the lost sheep. He talked about the lost coin and the lost son. So they come back. That's what he says. They come back from the West. And we see that. The prophet Ezekiel said when they come back, they will sow a path of tears. That they came back in brokenness. And we saw that very few of them did come back, though. And that they had to rebuild the city in the promised land. We saw all that in Ezra, Nehemiah, and Haggai about them rebuilding. But God restored them back in their land. Even in their exile, God never forsaken them. And he says that throughout the Bible, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I think a lot of people sometimes forget who God really is. Because of his tender heart and his merciful heart, we sin and sin and we get away with it. There's no consequences. We think we can run all over him and there won't be any consequences because we haven't felt it yet. You know, he's holding his anger. He's holding that wrath that we saw. But then there comes that point. There comes that day of judgment because just like the Israelites, we will eventually get to the end of our rope. And there is a time that we have to turn back to him in that broken spirit, in that true brokenness and humbleness. And what does it say? He says he will restore us. And that's what he says in verse 12. He promises them that he will return them to their home. But in verse 12, he tells them, stop lying to yourself. Stop lying to me. Judah's the only one that's walking with me right now, and that is faithful. And so we need to wake up. We need to quit lying to ourselves. We need to quit telling ourselves that we're good people. We need to quit telling ourselves just because we go to church, just because we go there every Sunday, that we're a good person. If you don't have that intimate relationship, 
If you've not repented, truly repented, if you've not been like he says Israel will be, where they're broken and then they turn to him, you are lying to yourself. And that's what he says right here. Quit lying to yourself. We need to quit lying to ourselves. We need to understand that we are sinners and we need God every day. It doesn't matter if you're a new Christian or if you're a seasoned saint. All of us need God every day. We need to put down our selfish pride and we need to seek Him on a daily basis. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and we thank you for another time to come together and study your word. Lord, we thank you for your nature. Lord, we love this beautiful chapter here where you show us the nature of how that you are a tender-hearted God, how you are so merciful. Even when we break your heart, you are merciful. And you say, oh, how can I let you go? How could I ever forsake you? But you're not a weak God because you are a strong God. You're a lion-hearted God, and you are strong to your principles. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone lying to themselves, listening to this today, that you I know you're there knocking. The Holy Spirit is knocking on their heart saying, wake up. You're lying to yourself. Lord, I pray today would be the day that they would turn. They would come before you in that broken spirit and they would humble themselves. Lord, maybe there's one that's listening that's in that rebellion. They've never come to you. Lord, I pray that they would turn to you in that brokenness and in that true repentance before they get to the end of the rope just like Israel did. Lord, that they would admit they're a sinner. Lord, they would believe that you died on the cross and you rose again and you did that just for them to forgive them of their sins. And Lord, they would confess you with their mouth. Lord, let us all understand that our new identity, who we are, understand who you are and that we can come before you like a loving father. Lord, that you will give us everything we need because you are truly loving, you are tender, you're merciful, even when we break your heart. Lord, we ask this all in your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.